I, I'm not super emotional. I don't, I don't do that very much. That's not me. But I'm sitting down here, and um, I was just, we were singing, Holy, Holy is the Lord. I, 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 just, I had the thought, I wonder if, I mean, I understand there's language and who knows how all that stuff works, but I wonder if we are in sync with the angels that flank the throne of our Lord, who have been singing the same thing from their creation and will sing it through eternity. And I, I got to thinking, what a blessing it is to be able to join them in the worship of the creator and sustainer of life. And what a, what a neat blessing that is. And so I don't know, I just got caught up in that moment. So you just have to give me a second, okay? I'll, I'll get there eventually. I'm excited to start this series. It's, it's, um, I think it's always needed for us. It's at the uh, forefront of our calling uh, to minister to one another. It is at the forefront of our lives. I think it is our families that steer the nation, not the nation that steers the family. I think everything comes back to that family unit. So I, I'm really excited to have an opportunity to begin to just talk about our marriage today. And I, I want to be really forward. I want you to know my goal is to set a foundation for what will happen the next two weeks. The next two weeks, we'll look at the individual role of the husband and then the role of the wife. And uh, we'll walk through each of those and our responsibility and our calling to be faithful in those things. But I just want to get a foundation and talk about the joy that marriage is, the blessing that it is, and really to try to get a better understanding of just it as a whole. And, you know, last week we talked about repentance. And one of the points that I, I tried to make was that learning marks an attitude of repentance because the truth is there are not many things that we learn that are new. For most of us, especially those of us who are adults, you know, we like to look back and we like to say of teenagers, they think they know everything. Uh, the truth is the older we get, the probably the more we think we know everything if we're just really honest about it. We bring our presuppositions, our traditions, our experiences to define pretty much everything. And to learn anything beyond where we're at almost certainly causes us to question what we already held to be true. And that is at its most difficult when we talk about something as culturally ingrained and as experienced as our marriages or our family. Uh, one of the great blessings I've had, I teach a, a course, I, I don't know how many times, a lot here in the States, but maybe a dozen times in I don't know how many different countries and all around the world, but five different continents, a, a course on theology and family. And it's my favorite course to teach overseas. I work with a mission organization. We partner with seminaries and Bible colleges and universities all around the world. It's my favorite course, and it's for a completely selfish reason. You never have a clue what you're going to find out teaching that course because you start with a biblical definition of family, and then you begin to think about the responsibility that the family and the church share in ministry and how those things work together. And what you realize is not everyone's traditions are like your own. They have some different habits and customs that are free within Scripture and things we don't really think about. I mean, um, I've been to many parts of the world where the majority of their marriages are arranged. 
And I'll be honest, now that I have a daughter, and I agree. Um, I just, and I can see the common sense in, in that approach. And you, you think of that to some extent from a Western idea, and you see what could be the weaknesses in that, and I'm sure sometimes there are, just like sometimes there, are, there is with us. And you see the weaknesses, and it just seems different. But most of our marriages in Scripture, almost all of them, are arranged marriages. Scripture doesn't teach us against that. But that's really different than the way we think of marriage. I, I, I remember I was, uh, and I've shared this story before, it's just so good, it just sets the point. I remember I'm, um, I'm teaching in Nepal, i got like maybe 20 students. And um, we're taught, it's in this class, and, and a student raises his hand and he says, look, he names a cast, and Paul has a cast, he names a cast of people, he says, in this cast, the believers, even when they come to faith, the wife, should she still drink the water of the toe? I have no idea what he's talking about. And I'm looking, and I'm just staring at this guy, like, okay, and everyone in the class shakes their head and stares, like that was a reasonable question. I had no idea what they're talking about. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, you're going to have to explain what that means, because it sounds really gross. And he explains this, he says, well, look, there's a cast, and the way the, that the wife shows submission and honor to her husband is before they eat, she will wash his feet and drink the water which she used to wash his feet. This is what, oh. So here's the question. Question comes back, is this wrong? Now listen, you went, ew, Right? Bible and you may not necessarily be on the same, <laughs> same wavelength. And you're, you think about these things so much differently. By the way, my wife would go, you, no way. So I, I get it. I just think for us, we have to understand that when we look at something so common as our marriages, we are bringing a lot of tradition and a lot of custom and a lot of comfort, a lot of influence into our understanding and then, through that lens, so often we look at Scripture instead of the other way. And I think it would be good for us to just kind of reset some of those things. I, um, I used to do a lot of uh, premarital counseling. And um, I, I developed this habit. And one of the things I would do is the, the, the engaged couple would come and I would sit them in front of me, and I'd ask them to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And they'd read, verse 26, and they'd read, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet, those who marry will have worldly troubles. That's a, that's a Bible way of saying, that's good. That's a Bible way of saying, you're going to have problems. All right, we're going to have problems. And, and Paul says, I would spare you that. He goes on, verse 38, so then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. 
I did a, a, a word study of that term better. I thought, surely it can't mean better. Paul uses the exact same word when he says, remember when he says, to stay with you is good, but to go be with Jesus is better? By the way, you good, Jesus a lot better. Paul uses the same word. So let me encourage you first here if you're a single. Our culture will measure you and tell you that you should get married. It's the thing that you should do. But there is an abnormal blessing, something that is a gift for some that is just better. To be undivided in your attention and your worship of the Lord. That's truth. And so I would ask them to read this and then I would say, okay, why do you want worldly trouble? Why do you want problems? And why do you want to do something that's not better? And they would give me that kind of nervous laughter like, (laughs) yeah. And then I would just wait and I would be like, no, no, really, why? Can you believe I don't do much premarital counseling anymore? (laughs) It's kind of, yeah, anyway. And so you go on and you ask them these things and I mean, lesson number one is that marriage is a war. It's not a Disney movie. It's, it's a war. Listen, falling in love to live happily ever after with your soulmate, that's a fairy tale. That's not Bible. That's in a Disney movie. Marriage in the Bible is something different. So what's the truth? Marriage is a blessing instituted by God, but in our broken world, It's really hard. It's really hard. God designed marriage for us, but not about us. And as we kind of dive in, we're going to just look at a bunch of different random things. I love this sermon because this is random. It's all over the place, and that matches my personality, and we're going to do it. We're going to own it. But that's the thing, that you get that God designed marriage for us, but not about us. And we'll break that down. The first thing I want you to see is God did uh, design marriage for us. He says in Genesis 2, verse 18, then the Lord God said, he's created, or he's looking at Adam in the garden. He says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. For him. So here's what you need to know. Adam is not in the garden, walking around, kicking turnips. Can you kick turnips? Are they, they're underground, aren't they? Whatever. Anyway, so Adam is not just frustrated. He's not sulking. Listen, he is not in any way discontent with his community with the Lord. In no way is he seeking anything else. Adam is good. The Lord, however, looks at Adam and says, it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to create a helper for him. Now that's important. Because as God will create Eve, he will institute the first marriage. By the way, this is before the fall of man. So when we're talking good, we're talking real good. For him. That's that's helping us define already how marriage is for us. See, the wife was created for her husband. She is his sacrificial helpmate. 
And before the men get too excited and think life is so great, the opposite of that must also then be true. Who we know about God and his character and scripture will later confirm if the wife is created for the husband, then the husband is for his wife. And we see that later in our New Testament confirmed. And so listen, husband, you are for your wife. You are a sacrificial leader. Your marriage is for your spouse. See, when we marry, we enter a covenant, not a contract. We've heard this before. A covenant is an unconditional commitment. It does not matter the terms or how you are treated. Your aim is to fulfill your covenant to the other party. Marriage is not a contract, which is a conditional exchange of terms. I will do this for you, If you do this for me. Marriage is a covenant. And so if you're sitting here thinking, I hope my spouse is listening. You're missing the point. Your perspective is wrong. See, defining the for us is important because marriage is uniquely for all of mankind. Generally speaking, listen, marriage is for you, generally speaking, in the same sense that it benefits all of mankind. It is instituted before the fall, and it is good. Personally speaking, your marriage is for your spouse and for the world who will see testimony of the gospel through your love and commitment to your spouse. So today, let's have some fun. Let's walk through, let's, let's talk about those shared responsibilities, the parts that overlap into both of those roles. And the first thing I want you to see is that God designed marriage for companionship. Back to that same verse in verse 18, chapter 2, Genesis. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Our first purpose communicated I don't want man to be alone. I'm going to create a companion for him. And so God designed marriage to provide companionship. And companionship, listen, is both a result and a responsibility. It's a result and a responsibility. It's a result of the covenant. It's a a joint reality. It almost becomes a physical reality. Listen, whoever you marry, that's your soulmate. The moment you stand before the Lord and you enter into a covenant bond, that person is your soulmate. That's it. That's how it works. It doesn't matter if it's arranged. It doesn't matter if you choose. It doesn't matter. The covenant before the Lord makes that person, that spouse, your soulmate. And those two become one. A few verses later in verse 24, chapter 2, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Jesus affirms this in Matthew chapter 19. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus goes on verse 6, So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. 
Pharisees go on and they ask him, well, what about divorce? And Jesus just clearly says, look, it wasn't that way from the beginning. That only happened because of your sin. He goes on in verse 9 and says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. It's pretty clear. Why? Because when those precious, when that precious married couple comes together, they become one in their covenant. There is a physical reality, a truth in the way they are viewed, and listen, therefore, a physical reality in companionship as well. So in other words, there is a result of our union that just brings the married couple companionship. But there's also a responsibility of the covenant. Now listen, this is the part I want you to hear. It is a personal commitment to your spouse because companionship becomes my ministry. My first created purpose is to provide companionship for my spouse. This is deeply rooted into the created order. Companionship is built it is nurtured, it is protected, it becomes my ministry. So what is it and how do we build it and what does that look like? Let me give you a, 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 few, a few just key terms to help. First, companionship is built through truth. Companionship centers on created purpose. Companionship isn't just simply, you know, presence or intimacy, you know, um, making him feel like a king or her feel like a queen. It's not just shared experience. Companionship is shared purpose. It's shared meaning. And one of the things that is destroying our marriages and weakening our marriages is we have misplaced purpose that is straining our companionship. See, our purpose is to conform to the image of Christ. We talked about that last week. And so if we're going to improve our marriage, we must first accept our purpose. That means my role as a husband is to lead my wife to a deeper relationship with Christ. And in that, in that purpose, I will find the most companionship. Second, trust. Companionship, trust in God, not your spouse. That seems like an odd thing, but it's so true. See, listen, if we trust in our spouse, our marriage is going to struggle because our spouse is broken, just like we are. But if we trust in our Father, serving our purpose will become our priority, not measuring our spouse. See, if my trust is in my spouse, I'm going to measure my spouse. Does my spouse meet my expectations? Are they doing what they need to do? But if my trust is in the Lord, it does not really matter for me what my spouse is doing or not doing. Sure, it wounds me. Sure, it breaks my heart. Sure, it'll put me on my knees before the Lord and call me to pray. But my purpose before the Lord is to trust him and honor 
the covenant I have made to love my spouse. Third trial, companionship is hard. Remember what comes natural, what what Paul talked about? We're going to have problems. See, what comes natural is worldly problems, worldly trouble. You're going to go through trials in your marriage. It's going to happen. It doesn't mean that because you face trials in your marriage that God is not with you. It does not mean that your spouse is not fighting for you. It does not mean that the universe has turned against you. It means you have a normal marriage. It's hard. It's hard. True companionship is a ministry. And I'll be honest, here's what I've, I, I've realized 20 years of ministry. Watch. Some marriages are a lot harder than others. And some people's first place of ministry is much more difficult than others. That's true. But our marriage is our primary and first place of ministry. See, listen, we have this false idea. We do. We own it. Just own it with me. I do. I have this idea that my marriage is a place of rest, not a place of work. I work somewhere else and I come home and, I'm, and I just want to relax. That's backwards, if anything. Listen, our marriage should be a place of work, not a place of rest. Marriage is the center of a war zone. I mean, do you really think that in the spiritual battle that rages against the Lord and his work, that rages against us, do you really think that those spiritual powers say, oh, he's with his wife. That's a a peace zone, true zone. We don't go there. See, but we treat our marriages like that. We think we're going to go back and we're going to be with our spouse and we have this idea that it's a place of rest, that it's free from the spiritual battle that rages around us, that somehow the enemy gives us a truce. What are we thinking? It's exactly the opposite. You face no greater war, no greater battle than in your home we got to open our eyes and see that, and we got to go home. we got to go to our spouse ready to work and ready to fight and ready to sacrifice. Not rest. Second, God designed marriage for procreation. This is pretty cool. Verse 28, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He says the same thing to Noah in Genesis chapter 9. And we read in Psalm 127, verse 3, Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, children a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. Our children are a blessing. But again, I just want to make sure we understand... God doesn't need us to bring life into existence. He doesn't. The fact that we get to be part in a married relationship to bring new life into this world is an incredible gift of the Lord. I I use this example. It's just a fun one. You know, the Lord could have came up with Harvest Day. 
Every June the 3rd is harvest day. And couples would pray and they'd go out in their backyard and they'd wait. And at like, you know, 1 p.m. on harvest day, if the Lord wanted to give you a baby out of the dirt, just poop, pops a baby. Harvest day. Wouldn't that be awesome? You have to get them, wipe the dirt off of them. They'd be like, oh, these new babies, they look, they're kind of gross. You can clean them all. That's not much different than what God did with Adam. See, one, each one of these things that we're going to talk about today, I want you to realize they're good things. These are blessings. Companionship is a good thing. To get to be part of bringing life into the world, what a blessing. Third, check this out. God designed marriage for discipleship. Deuteronomy 6, you shall teach them diligently, the ways of the Lord diligently to your children. You say, well, this is written to all of Israel. It is, but listen to what happens next. And you shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. I'm just going to be real honest with you. If all of Israel is with me when I lay down and when I rise, that's weird. No matter yet, maybe it's just the pastor, but let's just be honest. Let's say, let's say Pastor Paul shows up at your house every morning, he's there. You just think that's weird. You know why it's weird? Because it's not how the implication is going to work. It's going to work through the family. You're the one who's present when you wake up in the morning. You're the one who's present when you go to bed at night. You're the one who's present in the car on the way to school. So what, what are you saying? God set up the first place of discipleship in the home through the marriage. And listen, we have this thing where we, we have somehow, I think, so feminized discipleship to our kids. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Here's what you do. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, it's your responsibility. Here's the point. We, through our marriage, get to reveal the revelation of God to one another. We get to be part of leading our spouse to be more like Jesus. In our marriage, we get to work together to disciple the next generation to grow up and know who God is. What a blessing. That is so powerful and so cool. Fourth, God designed marriage for nurture and support. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Now, if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially for those in his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a pretty strong statement. Those married couples and those households, they become rocks for nurture and support, not just when we're young, but as we age. Not just when times are good, but when we are in need. See, the Lord built all this around the marriage as he instituted the family. It's incredible. And what a blessing to have those things and those gifts. It's hard. Why? Because Satan and the enemy does not want you to have those gifts. Because in our sin and in our brokenness, we mess it all up. But that is what the fight of marriage is for. Second thing I want you to see, God designed marriage to be about Jesus. 
Ultimately, it's not, it's not just about us. It's for us, but it's about Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Listen to verse 32. We talked about that. It goes all the way back to the beginning in the created order, right? All the way back to Genesis. Listen to what Paul says. This mystery. Why on earth would this happen? Why would the Lord make it to where you would leave your father and mother? Verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. See, marriage is about the gospel. It's about Jesus. It's about his revelation or his relationship with the church. As he reveals himself more and more to her and redeems her with his very blood. See, marriage is a picture of the gospel. Jesus gave, listen, everything. As he left the presence of his father, took on human flesh. Why? Because he loved his church. Gave his life for an unfaithful, adulterous people. And through his blood, he redeemed the church and makes her spotless and pure. His bride. So a few things, just really quick, just some things to help you think through it. God designed marriage to equip man for his purpose, not man's purpose, God's purpose. Marriage is designed to edify one another toward God's purpose. That's what it's there for. Listen, meditating on this simple implication will change your priorities. If you understand that the primary purpose of your marriage is to edify others, starting with your spouse, starting with your kids, all across the place of influence, to build them up, to have a deeper understanding of who God is and who he has called them to, it will change the priorities of your marriage. See, it, it, it just changes the way we see responsibility. It, it, it alters everything. No longer do I think my role is to make my wife feel like a princess. No longer does she think her role is to make me feel like a king. No longer do I think the role is to make our home as comfortable as possible. But I am gripped with the reality that our marriage's purpose is the gospel. Is that it and it itself becomes a testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Changes everything. You say, where do you see that? Let me give you the most extreme example I think that I can, I can point out and go, go back, take us back to Hosea. So Hosea's marriage, by the way, Hosea is a prophet of the Lord. He's a good guy. He lives faithfully. He loves the Lord. He pursues the Lord. He's one of the Lord's leaders. And here's what God says to Hosea. The first time. That God really speaks to Hosea. The first message, listen, 
verse 2, Hosea chapter 1. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Go marry a prostitute. Can't, can't you imagine Hosea being like, well, I don't think that'll make me very happy. It's not what I envision. He does. And his new wife is unfaithful and leaves. And he has to go buy her back. And in Hosea chapter 3 verse 1, and the Lord said to me, go again. Love the woman who's loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Hosea verse 2 says, so I bought her. That's not the picture of marriage that we're sold at Disney. That's different. You say, why are you pointing that out? Because I want you to see that marriage is about the gospel. It is for Hosea and it is for you. It's just about Jesus. Second, God designed marriage to reveal his character. See, marriage are pictures of the gospel and therefore reveals the character of God. Marriage reveals our character as well. Here's a spoiler alert. Our character is broken. It's not very good. And yet, the truth, God redeems the broken. That's the beauty of the gospel. That while we were unfaithful, he loved us. He redeemed us and purchased us. That's the beauty of the gospel. See, we have a problem, I think, and, and, and this is a, a real specific application, and um, we're going to have to close soon, but I want you to catch this application. Listen, I'm, I'm, I want to say this well. My heart breaks after year and year and year in ministry when couples come with their marriage so messy, so broken, that they're both just ready to quit, or one is ready to quit. And somehow it's bottled up for years, because it didn't just happen like that overnight. And no one asked for help, and there's not a culture of that. Why? Because we're pretending like our marriages are all good, and they're all easy, and they're not. They're broken, they're messy, and they're hard. And rather than the church create a community and a culture where we can choose transparency and come and say, this is hard, we pretend like we've got it. And as a result, these couples, they keep going, they keep going until they're ready to quit and it's such a mess and it's hard. And it reminds me of the person who just won't go to the doctor and they put it off for years and for years and years and then when they finally go, there's, it's so hard to treat because it's a mess. Go to the doctor. 
Start talking to the church. Seek out your leaders. Open up. Choose transparency. Listen, run to the Lord because the picture of marriage is this. God wants us to run to him. He's not ashamed of us. Remember Hosea? He's not sitting there ready to just, man, I'm so mad at her. God's not mad at you. He wants you to run to him. I don't care how broken, how messed up, how hard your marriage is. Run to him. Don't pretend. Don't hide. And worst of all, don't flee and abandon the covenant you've made to your spouse, listen, and with the Lord. Third, God designed marriage to picture his love. Marriage is a love story. We just sung it. Marriage is the story of the gospel. That while we were broken, unfaithful, separated in our sin, the Father loved the Son enough to send him. That he would take on the sin and the debt of an unfaithful people. That would hang him on a cross and take his very life. That through the power of his resurrection and through the power of his love, we might be redeemed. That's the gospel story. It's a love story. Our marriage is a picture of that. That's what we fight for. So a few applications and we're going to close. I got five fluffy Fluffy applications. I call them fluffy because they're just wise counsel. They're not biblical absolutes. They're just little things because I know we like little fluffy things, and we do. They're cute, and they help us, and they're not real heavy. And so I'm going to give you five of these, and then I got one, one just really solid one. Okay, the first one, remove distractions from your marriage. All right? I told you we're going to be random. These are just kind of random icing. Remove distractions from your marriage. Turn off your phone. Turn off the TV. All right? I'm going to give you one that's hard. This one's going to get me in trouble. I'm just going to tell you anyway. And if, if you don't like it, pretend Mike said it and talk to him about it. <laughs> get away from your kids sometimes. You say, are my kids a distraction? They can be. Listen, if you're sitting there and you're, you're mom and you haven't been away from your kid in two years to go on a date night longer than two hours with your husband because you can't be away from your kids, that's a distraction. Your priorities are wrong. Get away for a weekend. Your kids will survive. Prioritize your marriage. Husbands, don't be weak. Your responsibility is to lead. You say, well, that'll be a fight. Model it. Walk through it together. Pursue your marriage. Get rid of the distractions. Second thing, this one's awesome. You're going to like me for this one, married couples. Kiss for seven seconds twice a day. You like that? Begin every morning, end every night, and kiss for seven seconds. There's, there's scientific reasoning for that. I'm not going to go into it. But, but just lock lips for seven seconds. Begin your day that way. No matter how mad you are, just fight for it. Try it. Uh, go for it. You know, uh, Be respectful, obviously. But... I'm just saying, it is today, you know, so we're going to acknowledge it. 
but kiss, seven seconds. Third, worship together. Prioritize worshiping together. Grow together. Study. Talk about God's word together. Serve together. Do ministry together. Go out, out of your comfort zone on a mission field. Maybe, I don't know, maybe across the street, maybe across the world, but go together. Fourth, learn to debate and argue for edification. This is important. You're going to argue. If you're that couple, and, and the truth is, Amy and I don't fight a lot. It's just kind of, that, if you're that couple, it's like, we don't really fight that much. You're doing something wrong. You should be. Why? Because remember that learning requires repentance, and repentance is uncomfortable. Husbands, if you're leading your wife to be more like Jesus, let me tell you, there's going to be tension. Listen, ladies, you're coming along trying to help your husband be more about Jesus, lead your home. There's going to be tension. Figure out how to have healthy debate, an argument that's edifying, not ridiculing. Fifth, look forward. Look forward. Begin every day is a new day because every day you wake up married to that person, that person is your soulmate. It really doesn't matter what it did, they did yesterday. Today's a new day. God gave them to you today. God arranged your marriage today. Finally, one last solid application. It's a biblical mandate. Abide deeply in Christ through his word. This will change your marriage more than anything else. See, we want it to be simple. We want a little five-step program, but the reality is our marriage will be best when we walk wisely in the Lord. You're not going to do that with a five-minute devotion in the morning. Set aside time, get in the Word, and pursue God. I can, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into details, but I can remember twice where my wife did this. And to this day, I think, those two, just long-term sacrifice, pursuit of the Lord, did more for our marriage and might be the greatest gift she's ever given me. So thankful for that. You really care about your marriage? Study God's word. Don't excuse yourself out. Don't say you don't have time. Don't say you're too busy. Don't say you understand your circumstance. Dive in and abide deeply. I'm going to call the team up, and we're going to come into a t- time of response and as they come up and as they begin to play I want to challenge you to two specific applications church first if you're here you're married you're a believer your marriage is hard I want to challenge you If you feel like, man, we need help. I just need to talk to somebody. Nobody's going to flip out. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to make you feel worse. We're just going to try to come around you. We don't even have all the answers. Can't make it all better with a snap of our fingers. But we can walk through it with you. And if you're here, and that's you, as we just sing, one, I want you to pray to the Lord and go to him first. But as our service is over, I want you to just go to our prayer room. Just tell somebody. Say, will you pray with me? And just... Take a step in transparency. You say, if I can't do that, come find me, come find Pastor Mike, go to a friend, but choose transparency. Talk to someone. Second, if you're here, you don't know Jesus. I pray you see through the picture of marriage the love story that is the gospel. He loved you. 
unfaithful, broken, so much that he gave his life to redeem you and call him back, call you back to himself. I want you to think about that as we sing this song. And at the end of our service, you're going to have an opportunity, and I pray that you would take it, to go talk to someone, to respond to the love of God through his son that would redeem you. I pray you'd go to our prayer room and say, you know what? Daniel's talking about this relationship with Jesus. He's talking about this love story. And I just, I don't know if I've ever accepted that. That's my challenge for you. But now, would you stand? Would you sing in a tone of worship? Would you listen to the words of this song and, let, and meditate on them, think on them? Because this is a powerful testimony of a love story in Jesus. Stand, sing, and make this a time of prayer and a time of response.